I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, as always, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sager, is also from 28 Days Haunted on Netflix, and paranormal caught on camera on Travel Channel and the Max streaming service, and yes, even Discovery Plus. And we just kicked off our sixth season, so check that out. So my guest today is a new friend. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people throughout the years that I love to work with, love to connect with. And then you meet new people that it's like automatically you just you want them as like part of your world and you respect what they're doing. We actually started chatting before we were both set to appear at Amy Bruni's Strange Escapes Paranormal Tourism event at Belvoir Winery and Inn in Missouri. And once we met in person, we started chatting. And then once we met in person, I think it's safe to say we clicked as friends. We nerded out with one another. And I'm just, um, I really love hearing him talk, getting his perspective on everything, because he is a verified content creator, a researcher whose deep dive into history and the paranormal has led him to become a rising star in both genres. He mainly focuses on the South, but explores the details around urban legends across the country and the secrets they sometimes hold. And when I say rising star, let's put this into perspective because he's become immensely popular in a short amount of time. And he's gained 150,000 followers last check on TikTok and 2.3 million likes on that TikTok account and also just burning it up on Instagram, Twitter, all across the board. And he owns the coffee shop and Opalika, 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 Alabama, which is one of the few black owned coffee shops in Alabama and in the entire South. So he is my friend and let's welcome Joshua Darren. Hey, Josh. Hey, thank you for having me. Dude, I'm so excited to have you. I know we were supposed to have this happen yeah. last week, and my computer blew up. <laughs> yeah, and then my computer blew up this week. And so, uh, yeah, it's computers. <laughs> computers. What is what is the deal? What is the deal with computers? Sorry, that was my bad Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, like I said, I'm excited to have you here, even though it was a slight delay. And just first off, um, you know, I feel like you and I share a certain level of nerdery. Like we seem, we talked a lot about pop culture and some other things. Yep. Summertime, summertime, as we record this, it is the time for big blockbuster movies and pop culture and everything. Um, what are you, what are you digging into? What are you liking in the uh, pop culture realm this summer? Uh, I'm liking hearing about everybody who's liking the movies. Uh, that's my, <laughs> that's been my, my favorite thing because I haven't really been able to, to, uh, to get to like the movies and really enjoy. So, uh, yeah, when I get a couple like days, AKA a couple weeks or a week off, I'm just going to binge through all of them. I mean, I haven't seen Transformers. Uh, I finally saw Spider-Man. I haven't seen Indiana Jones. Um, I'm, I'm probably gonna, I haven't seen Shazam yet. There's so many different movies that I haven't seen. Um, but I love that everybody's enjoying the movies that I haven't seen yet. So I guess that's, that's my, that's my best, best answer to that. So yeah. Far. 
Well, you did. Yeah, you were talking about Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse Part yep. 1, and I still haven't seen it yet. And I'm 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 frustrated with myself because I loved the first one so much, but that seems like that's been one that you really you you have loved this summer so far. Yeah, that that movie is incredible. I think uh it's it's one of the few movies where you'll go into the theaters, well, I mean, I guess not now, but where I went into the theaters and saw just a wellspring of different types of people. So you have people who are like in their 70s uh, as like a group, like not young people with them. And then you'll see people who are teenagers and then you'll see kind of like the young professional group. And it was just a really cool amalgamation of people inside the theater. And the movie really paid that off. I think it's a pretty fantastic movie. And also Spider-Man is my favorite character as we, as we talked about. So um, I was going to enjoy it, whether it was like a garbage movie, but it was not so pleasantly surprised it was not and yeah spider-man yeah as we talked about is my favorite character as well and like i grew up with sort of peter parker spider-man but then came to love miles morales when he was introduced and you started as a miles guy yeah i i mean i, I would say I, I loved peter parker but i think i i've started loving miles a little bit more uh and i it really just i think it goes down to like the relatability i could see myself a little bit more in miles than i can in, in peter but uh Peter still like they still represent the same thing. So still, still an incredible um, set of heroes, um, I'd say. Yeah. So just to uh, just because this fascinates me and, you know, it's it's really just about me entertaining myself. Uh, the as a as a kid growing up in Alabama initially, did you over the summer, did you park it in movie theaters a lot or like how did you? kill time and get out of the heat what was like what was josh's summertime activity yeah um it was i was at the movie theater all the time uh anything i could get my hands on i would be in the movie theater i would spend all the money i'd spend all my summer money in the theater so uh that's i, I still do i still do that and would do that if i you know didn't have to run a coffee shop but if i didn't i would be there every single weekend probably seeing something uh it was uh a very fun time in alabama for me and it kind of helped me learn how to be by myself and enjoy things so that was also kind of a it has some duality to it as well so what's the as as you create these videos talking about legends and lore and history is there a movie from your past that you would say like echoes rattles around in your brain as like the storytelling movie that if you can hit that tone when you're telling your stories you're like yeah i'm on the mark wow that is a really good question um honestly i'll i'll, I'll go like old school <laughs> the first uh and this isn't really old school at all uh the first transformers movie i think is like the tone that i try to get i remember that was one of the first movies that I saw with like my parents. And I remember uh, just being so locked into like the Transformers lore. So that movie made me start like, let me go check out the eighties cartoon. Let me go and like dig into like what's Unicron, like things like that. It really made me nerd out. So if I could catch that same tone where it has the right pacing, the right action, uh, but you still kind of learn something and kind of uh, like can fantasize a little bit. I think that's, that's the right tone that um, I try to capture. In okay. Storytelling. I'm assuming you mean like the Michael Bay early 2000s yeah. Transformers. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that that highlights a little bit of our age difference here because I think of the first Transformers <laughs> movie and I think of the one from the 80s where, spoiler alert, Optimus Prime died. So, you know, it was, it was pretty intense. <laughs> Still a great movie, though. <laughs> it is. Great it is movie, actually. Though. It is a great movie. Um, so, well, I mean, okay. So from a superhero perspective, give, give us the, the Josh superhero origin story with this. Like, look, we live yeah. with history. We live with legends and lore all the time. We, we all, all of us grow up in places that have stories. So how did you make the leap from just hearing about it, growing up with it to actually sharing it? Um, well, I, I guess I can say it starts with, uh, it starts with my wife. Um, well, actually, let me just backtrack even further. So I was always a kid who was interested in the paranormal. I had experiences, asked my parents, they didn't really give me good answers. Uh, they were, we were big churchgoers. So that also kind of contributed to the curiosity of me wanting to know, you know, church is all about spirituality. So, uh, what are these other things I don't understand? I never got any clear answers and me by nature, I'm curious. And so not having an answer is an answer enough for me. It means go and do everything you can to pursue that very thing that you can't get an answer for. So I started at a young age watching tons of documentaries, getting every getting all, consuming all the content that I could possibly find. So a lot of Loch Ness, a lot of Bigfoot, a lot of Mothman, uh, the usuals that were kind of coming up in that early 2000s uh, cryptid uh, category, a lot of like Atlantis and what are these petroglyphs and why are these pyramids in certain places and not in other places and they're, they're built the same but the two civilizations never met so documentaries like that they really kind of got the 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 juices flowing but being in Alabama being in the Bible Belt being in a place where it's not like openly talked about there's urban legends of course that people share but it's not so heavily talked about and it's on, honestly approached with so much fear I think uh, especially in my community as well, that it's one of those things that you kind of just keep to yourself. So you learn everything you can. You don't really talk about it. You, you know, hope that you find people who want to talk about it, but you don't really. So that this came with me through childhood and then adulthood. And uh, I just became a little bit more open with myself and just realizing like, hey, this is a part of me. It's been a part of me. Maybe I should put some more effort into it. Um, so fast forward all the way back to my wife. I, uh, moved back so we moved back from Colorado and Wyoming and I was going to tell her about this urban legend that I thought I knew everything about I was just going to wow her it was one of the few places that had like open access it's on a campground you can literally walk around the building and we got there and I told her maybe like 30 seconds worth of uh material because I didn't actually know I just knew the urban legends that were told to me so it's usually the same old thing like oh you know a blood stain, a ghost, people see things, here's a picture. Nobody can really prove anything. And it's just, you know, nobody's ever like digging into the history of it. And so I essentially gave her the same spiel. And I was a little embarrassed because I really hyped it up. I would like, we made it this whole drive. I was like, yeah, this is going to kill you. Like, I can't wait. And from there, I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to do a little bit more research. Like, I'm going to circle back to the story. Um, and so I did. I, I researched at night and found tons of stuff that I would have never imagined would have come from a place that was in my own backyard. And that's when the wheel started turning that maybe I can turn this into something that people actually want. 
This is something I care about. This is not something that um, I'm going to have to really try hard to, to want to do. Like I, I'm, I'm doing this already. I have been doing this. I've just been keeping it to myself. So I went and researched four different places in Alabama and uh, pretty much said, okay, like if, if this is either going to go well, or this is going to go, you know, terribly, and they're going to come to my yard and just put a stake in the ground and just tie me to it. And, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, who am I to be telling all these paranormal ghost stories? Um, but I, I did, and they just kind of took off. And so I saw that there was a need for that. And over time, it's really just developed into finding a lot of the historical figures and the hidden history and the histories behind a lot of these urban legends and doing some really like meaty research on some of these places, because a lot of times you're just left with it's haunted, deal with it. Don't go, go. I don't really care. And so there, there's just so much more that needed to be told. And that just morphed into telling more stories, doing more research, learning my cadence, learning how to tell stories, uh, learning how to incorporate history while still having the hook of the paranormal attached and, um, and just expanding the territory. So I, I think I've told maybe like 200 and ooh, 10 stories in Alabama alone, which is not something that people would readily think of when it comes to Alabama and the paranormal. Uh, so I took it upon myself to to do it myself. Like I, I couldn't expect somebody else to do something that I truly cared about. And uh, so I just took it upon myself. And uh, it, it really also comes from not a lot of people think of Alabama when it comes to the paranormal or urban legends or having a rich history that is more than just the tragic history. And so that was kind of another motivating factor for me to start telling these stories and um you know, if, if Alabama's like that, then Georgia's like that, Mississippi's like that, Florida's like that, the South is like that overall. And uh, yeah, and so this version of, of Josh was born uh, where I got a little bit more bold to create content around things that I actually cared about and just went and and, and became just, I guess, brave enough to, <laughs> to, to, to say, okay, like, ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> what, why do you think... I mean, you know, uh, uh, piggybacking on something you just said, why do you think Alabama in, in particular is such an overlooked state when it comes to stories and legends? Because, you know, let's face it, like Georgia does get attention on some of their stories and um, Florida is weird and has lots of stories connected to it. And there's a handful of places that I know to be kind of, famously haunted in Alabama, but as a location, it's really just not talked about. Why, why do you think Alabama is overlooked? Um, I think it comes down to the people really. I don't think that people in Alabama really have embraced that it's okay for your state to be a little spooky. Um, I think there's, it's, I think a lot of it's fear-based because I, I mean, I talk to people in the coffee shop all the time when they stumble across my page uh that's <laughs> pretty much how it happens they stumble across and they say hey oh you're the guy from tiktok and then we start talking and usually what they tell me is just like you know i don't really dabble with that kind of stuff i don't really dabble with that kind of stuff and they always feel like it's a dabbling um uh, like taboo thing to talk about i think alabama has made the paranormal and and other things spiritually very taboo um and plus, like the Bible Belt also, I think, has to do with that, too. And from my perspective, coming from a place of not having knowledge, I think it also uh, facilitates that further fear. So people don't want that kind of attention in Alabama. So 
they know urban legends, but they won't share them. Or they've been told something from their grandma and they're like, oh, yeah, we used to ride down this dirt road back in the day. But like, I don't really want to talk about it now. I'm old. And like, that's that's teenage stuff. And I think it's a really uh, diverse reasons list as to why Alabama doesn't get as much attention. And um, historical societies don't really push it that much either. So I think it gets really buried and there's, and then going back to it, I think there's fear of actually telling these stories out in the public and then getting backlash from it. Well, and I, I'm going to go there in a minute with you, but I want to stick with your background for just another moment, because my experience with you is that you're not, you don't strike me as a rebel. Maybe, maybe you are. Uh, but you don't strike me as someone that like is setting out to um you know start fires uh with with family members or like you seem like a a pretty chill guy based on my experience with you and and the reason i say that is when you have family members who are religious and they're telling you not to pursue this thing not only do we not want to talk about it, but you personally should not be pursuing this thing. It's dabbling, as you said, but also like it's not a territory you should be going into. Now, I think there's plenty of people that would just take that to heart and maybe say, okay, I shouldn't poke around there. That's not where I belong. What was it about you that was like, no, I, I do want to dig around. I I'm, you know, I'm, I know it's going to piss off my family members and I'm not trying to do that, but I do want to dig around and poke around in this stuff. Yeah, that's a, that's another good question because I mean, you're, you're pretty right for the most part. I pretty, I, I try to be pretty even kill. Um, I'm not a chaos Muppet as, <laughs> as, as we talked about it, no more. <laughs> but um, I also like knowledge and I don't like knowledge being hidden away. And um I guess when it comes to me, I, I like to have intellectual conversations. And so having intellectual conversations means you have to know a little bit in order to kind of really dig deep below the surface. And the surface is just not good enough for me as a person. And that is the thing that motivates me to be a little rebellious, rebellious and kind of just say like, I'm going to do it and you're going to be mad and you're just going to have to be mad. Um, because I think that there's an importance in not just giving into fear because you just you don't know i think the more you know the more empowering that can be uh in a sense to continue to explore so i don't want to be one of those people who says who says like i don't know like i wouldn't dabble in that if somebody asked me a serious question about something spiritual i want to be a a point of reference so if somebody asked me something i may not know but like let's talk about it let's theorize let's really have a deep conversation about it and then maybe I can point you to the right direction to somebody like, I don't know, like Tinny or something who does have a wealth of knowledge and experience and could probably point you into the direction of somebody else who has a wealth of knowledge and experience. So I think by nature, I am a bridge builder. And so from that perspective, it the rebellion comes from a good place because I want to build that bridge uh, of knowledge from other people to other people. Yeah, it's it's this notion of I don't know as a declarative sentence versus I don't know as a beginning of 
an exploration, you know, like, um, yeah, some people when you're like, well, why is this thing the way it is? I don't know. Full stop, which means that they they lack the curiosity to push it forward for whatever reason, cultural reasons, whatever, versus like, I don't know, ellipses, dot, dot, dot. Let's find out. And yeah. that's that's far more exciting of a space to operate in. Are you, would you say you are a natural researcher or was there a learning curve to becoming a good researcher? I would say both. So I was already a natural researcher uh, by nature. Like I've, I've I, I go down rabbit holes. I like to go down rabbit holes because I think they lead you to places that you may not have just organically searched. So I do like to research naturally, but in the process of doing this, this has changed the way that I research. So instead of just taking everything for face value, I always try to match content with other content. So if I see a new story about like an urban legend, oh, well, I'm not just gonna, I can use it as my, my frame of reference, but I try to get other sources to intertwine with that research. So I'm now I'm looking into archives. Sometimes I'm looking into like architecture records when I can. Uh, I'm looking to see like who has some verifiable information. And if I can't find it, then I start pointing out like, okay, who are the historical figures that are involved in this to make this um, a little bit more interesting or to add to the overall story if there's not enough meat on the bone by itself. So it's definitely changed the way that I research because I research way tighter and more than just like, I'll just get on Google. Oh, I got on a Reddit thread. Okay, well, the Reddit thread's right. Um, if I find something on Reddit, like I'm, I'm very trying to verify that with very like, uh, credible sources. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like reporting in that sense. And that's kind of some of my actual like college background. Um, and, uh, the, the credible sources, I think helps drive some of these stories. So I've had to learn a lot since I started when I first started, it was more like, just tell the story, get out, just tell the story, get out. But now uh, it's a lot more intentional instead of just telling some of the research that I found, but making sure that there's like accuracy, there's dates, there's times, the time frames, points of reference, so that if you were to go and research those yourself, you could find the same information that I found. You might have to dig a little deeper uh, than you normally would, but it's still available. And you could say, okay, like Josh wasn't like just making something up and yanking my chain and just adding fluff. Like I don't like to add fluff. So that's where also some of the research um comes from as well to make sure that i have enough to talk about that i don't have to like you know add some words and make it word salad and make it more than what it is because i think the stories do stand for themselves if you can find enough well you said rabbit holes and i i appreciate that because me too like i i'm probably adhd enough and curious enough that i will <laughs> just get something on my brain yeah. and then decide to uh, spend an afternoon looking at that thing rather than doing the stuff I actually need to do. However, so with, with holes though, once you start digging holes, you might strike gold, but you also might, uh, dig into a live wire or snake or something that ends up being far more precarious than what you expected. Yeah. And, and it opens up just a, a whole other world of trouble. Can you tell me about an experience where you did that, where you're just, curious josh is uh going down the rabbit hole for a tiktok video or for your own purposes and then you run up against something where you're like oh damn this is now 
this is a problem. This is bigger. This is a problem, et cetera. Yeah. I have a couple of stories like that, actually. Um, I will say, and they're all different. So I'll, I'll just reference two because I'm very long-winded, so I don't want to um, tell you all of my stories. But uh, uh, the first one, I actually scared myself into not researching something anymore um, because it freaked me out so bad. So I was looking up, you know, some native legends, which I was just curious to be completely honest. I wanted to see the correlation between um, like native, native, like indigenous people and Bigfoot. There's not a like ton of information out there, but I was like, I'm going to find it today. And I ended up going uh, to a completely different entity overall. And then I started going down that ro- that rabbit hole, which led me to an even scarier entity um, that's like, close to home and uh i saw a picture of it and i i like it scared me so bad that i uh deleted all my tabs off my phone and shut it off and (laughs) didn't research anymore for like a day because it it freaked me out so bad because i felt like i knew too much and now that i'm thinking about it it's gonna come in my backyard literally so i I stopped researching that and i have not come back to that yet um because well wait I, I need to, I, I don't want to like make this worse for you, but I'm curious about what this did this make it into a video or anything? No, I I refuse to even um I refuse to to like make a video of it. Um and honestly, that was the video that made me pull back on selling indigenous legends just entirely. Uh so now like I did a few, but now I, I kind of just don't now. For one, because I feel like that's an, a space for indigenous people to tell yeah. their stories. But two, like, um, like I do not feel comfortable telling the story. So it, uh, <laughs> it I'm not gonna, with... I'm not gonna ask you what it is, but <laughs> at some point I'm gonna get it out of you. <laughs> well, I I will say this: it has to do with the finger, and um, it's pointy, and that's as far as I'll go. Um, so if you if you re- probably research pointy finger, indigenous legend, you will most likely find it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, (laughs) that one got me. Um, the other one outside of the scary one, uh, was I was just doing some research on the history books in Alabama. I was just curious, like who wrote the history books and why are they the way that they are? And why am I not learning as, why am I learning more? I should say outside of school than I did in school. And so it kind of led me down a rabbit hole of, uh, this woman who was named Marie Bankhead Owen, she was um, uh, like a, a apologist for the South. Um, she ended up getting into power and like restructuring all the history books. Um, and it was going to be like a quick video. I wasn't like really going to, it was going to be like a minute, uh, but that ended up going down. I ended up going down the rabbit hole and uh, I got a little nervous about that one because she's so closely tied to so many like state and like local politicians that I was kind of afraid that once I posted it, that they were going to come find me and like try to shut my TikTok down. Uh, so yeah, there's that one. Oh, and I have one more. So there's this um, uh, group called the Dixie Mafia in Alabama. And um, that one also went down another rabbit hole of finding names of people who are still alive that I did not include in that video on purpose. Um, but it was like, the short story is Phoenix city was one of the worst places in the entire United States, uh, in the mid 1900s, it was worse. 
it was like if Las Vegas had no limitations. So um, it was a bad place. Like the government officials ran on it. The police ran on it. Um, the, there was a legit mafia in small town Phoenix City, Alabama. And people would be literally dumped into the Chattahoochee River after being duct taped and put in bags. Like it was everything that you think of that the mafia does, they did and probably like 10 times more. There was like so much solicitation and all, all so many bad things. Um, and I started going down that rabbit hole. And like I said, I started coming across names of people who were still alive and still doing things. And um, I kind of pulled back the reins on when I told that story uh, because it did scare me because I'm literally like 25 to 30 minutes away from Phoenix City and did live in Columbus, Georgia at one point. And my dad lives in Phoenix City. So it was a whole, it was a whole like too close to home kind of situation uh, when that happened. Yeah. Well, I, I know we talked about this a little bit before, and I think this was kind of offline when we talked about it, but there's the the expression of let the past die. And when people say that, I find they're coming at it from a couple different perspectives. There's some people that say let the past die because they're still vulnerable and don't want to stir up trouble because it puts them in danger or puts them in, you know, uh, crosshairs of, of sorts. And then there's the people that say, let the past die because it's in their benefit. It's, you know, it, it, it satisfies their own ulterior motives to not let this stuff be brought up and, uh, come back to haunt them. Um, have you grappled with that? I mean, especially because like, you know, as a member of the black community, as a as a black man, but also exploring this very troubled past of the South and of Alabama, you're kind of dealing with both of those elements there. Yeah, um, I, I will say it's, it's one of the reasons why I don't really cover plantation uh, homes or plantation, you know, uh, adjacent things, simply because like, you can go to pretty much any plantation and probably find a ghost story or two. And you could probably find some like paranormal activity just because of like the trauma that happened on that land. So sure. I kind of let the past die in that regard uh, because I could, I mean, you could honestly just make a, a living off of telling stories around plantations, to be honest. Um, I try not to be exploitative in that regard, but also understand like there's more stories to tell than just like black trauma stories. But on the flip side, that's kind of a double-edged sword because I do go out of my way to tell stories about how Black people were involved in certain instances and how that's the the vehicle for um, some of these paranormal, you know, happenings. So it's 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 a balance. Um, I take away the plantation homes, but I still go out of my way to find how to insert Alabama's past into it as well because I think it's very important that we still talk about okay, um, this lake that we all enjoy in Alabama and uh, is prosperous around the banks uh, was built on the back of the most successful black town in um, the country at the time during reconstruction. So now you're thinking about, okay, what other black towns were built in reconstruction that got taken away? And so now like it, it keeps that train going. So it doesn't always have to go back to just slavery and, and things of that nature. Um, but it is important to, also, I think telltales of um, uh, how the enslaved overcame or either bought their freedom or 
um, just exceeded racial barriers too. So um, not all of the urban legends have to deal with that, but I think that there are a lot of social cues and social uh, culture that you can find embedded in how some of these urban legends came to be. So it's important to kind of expose that and say, okay, like this is reconstruction. You can expect to have these themes during urban legends because they were created during a time where the culture reflected a certain thing. So we still need to talk about that, but we can also explore the paranormal side of it as well, while also having a, a deep understanding of the history. And I think that that brings something that we also talked about at Belvoir, the empathy and the compassion and the, the, the bringing the love and light aspect to investigating and resharing these stories as well. Yeah. And I, and I don't know well, I honestly don't know what the answer is, my friend, because I know we talked about this before, is that you also have locations like Savannah where you have stories, these ghost stories, ghost tours that are talking about ghosts of enslaved people. And it's being told from the perspective of white tour guides, which, you know, not not that that's necessarily wrong, but it's definitely incomplete. And it's like, Grappling with that history and then grappling with the ghost lore, which are two different things, and how to how to do it appropriately and truly representing the story without being exploitive about it. And I, you know, I don't know how to do it other than I don't know how to do it, other than knowing that when I've seen these tours, it's done wrong. <laughs> like it's it feels wrong. <laughs> like it Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about with uh, St. Augustine. So we did that tour, uh, my wife and I, and we were so unsettled by just the campy nature of retelling these stories. And it's not that the stories were wrong, and it's not even necessarily that um, they were making uh, a tour around the old jail. It was the, it was kind of the, you know, and I, I don't mean to step on any toes, but kind of the lighthearted, like, Ah, uh, yeah, you know, bad things happen here, but ghosts and haha, and you know it that it, it's that kind of tone that I'm trying to do away with, so that when people go to places like the old jail, I think it's I think it's more so tone and just finding that empathy and saying, you know, this place is littered with uh, you know, hauntings, and we need to be understanding that this is partially due to the traumatic things that happened. So when you're when we're telling these stories, like make sure you're looking at the lens of the person who suffered here and not from the person who's walking oh, through a jail. Oh, sorry. Continue. Oh, hold on. Uh, hold on a second, Josh. I think I just lost you. Um, yep, I'm here. You're back. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think it just comes from that, like, being able to reshape some of these stories from the perspective of the people who actually are the the cause or I guess uh, proximal to um, the hauntings as opposed to just going through it, uh, going about it like a city tour. I just kind of reframing that a little bit more. Um, yeah. I think it can make it a little bit more tasteful and, and may not make people like me feel kind of out of the out of the loop when we're like trying to learn as well and trying to like understand the experience uh, because we, we definitely felt that way. We felt really out of place. Everybody was just kind of like smiling in pictures and holding up peace signs. And we were like, Oh, that's, 
the chain gang started here. Okay, that's wow, that's heavy. And oh, they cramp people in these cells um, that look like me. That's heavy. You know, well, everybody else was like, yeah, I'm going to pose with this mannequin, like cool stuff, dude. And it's, you know, I, that's what that kind of uh, storytelling, I think, breeds like the I'm here for a good time, but not to take anything with me when I leave. Um, yeah. But it's it's but it's a hard thing to to do. Um, to it is. Frame that. It is. It's a challenge because. People are going on vacation and they want that snapshot of history and a ghost tour can do that, but they don't want to walk away feeling bad on their vacation. So it's easier to have that palatable experience. And yet it's necessary to confront the realities of these darker chapters of history. And again, I don't know the exact, um, equation with all of this and i i think there's probably plenty of people that are doing tour guides or tours ghost tours that they're not approaching it intentionally being insensitive yeah but they want people to have a good time right so yeah they're maybe not adequately confronting the 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 darker parts of this this history you know um but it's a struggle yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. it's I, I don't know exactly how you how you address it, other than knowing that like it's 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 a little bit of a broken system. I do think that it, it'll it'll change over time. I do have hope in that regard because I see that the space is becoming a little bit more diverse, and the more diverse things become, the more perspectives come, the more things uh, change in that regard. So. Uh, you get to know more people who are covering stories in a different way, which is going to change and shape your view on how like you cover and, and, and like go about things. Uh, and the greatest example I have is investigating with the strange escapes group. Um, you have like a, the culture says that you go and you antagonize and you, you know, uh, like really like you got to get the energy going, but how, like the strange escapes presents it is actually it's the exact opposite. If you want like good experiences and you, you want to be able to, to have like good investigations in it, you have to approach it in this way. And so I think the more that um, we diversify, I think the same thing will happen. So you go in with one expectation, you see something else and you see that it's good. And so now like you're going to take that piece with you. So next time you go on an investigation outside of the people that you just witnessed, you're going to go about an investigation a different way. And so I think it's the same thing with diversity. I think diversity is going to breed that same kind of culture where you went in with a certain expectation, somebody presented it in a different way. And now you're going to take a piece of that with you. So when you're explaining a story, uh, it's going to be um, shaped differently based on your experiences with somebody uh, from a different background. Um, and that's, that's, that's just time. Uh, For like sure. Everything else. I also, I, I suspect a way of doing some of these things better is like, I, I totally agree operating with empathy and operating with um, respect and going in with the right approach is so necessary. I also think from the, the ghost tour perspective, it's not lionizing the clear villains and instead finding the very human stories and 
And even I suspect like within the more tragic, awful, terrible chapters of history, finding these characters that were either inspiring or funny or had broken through somehow by doing something notable that that to me is intriguing maybe there's not always the ghost story connected to it but it's still an interesting way of like bringing a little levity to something that it's like well this guy was just a you know uh you know mischievous and did his own thing somehow you know like somehow broke through the the terribleness i don't know that's just my thought yeah um, I had a similar experience with that recently. So I revisited Spring Villa just because I was looking into one of the characters that I found. Um, he built the mansion and uh, he was a freedman, like bridge builder, like building builder. But like in looking into his history, you see a really incredible, inspiring story. So I think sometimes it could even give a voice to some people that you might not have ever taken the time to go down the rabbit hole with. And um, yeah, it, it was, it's, uh, it's been, it's a, it's a cool journey when you like, take it from that angle too yeah as well so as you emerge in this paranormal and legend tripping space what are people surprised to learn about you um that's also a good question <laughs> i really don't know uh <laughs> um i guess like I, well i guess the the biggest thing is that i'm from alabama uh i usually get like question marks and see them in people's eyes when I say, yeah, I'm from like the country. And they're like, you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm from as country as you can get in uh, Alabama. And uh, so that I think that that might be the the, the trippiest thing because I don't really have an accent. I do say y'all a lot, but I don't really have an accent. My mom made sure to um, do everything she could to make sure I didn't have one. I remember her telling me that when I was young. Um, and I think that I've been kind of in the space for a long time i think that's also i guess a fun fact uh, i just because i don't i don't know if many people find people that look like me who do this um so i think those are the top two probably i don't really have anything else yeah well i mean we you know, when you say people that look like you, I mean, let's face it, this is a, the paranormal field is dominated by people that look like me, you know, and there's not as much, it's getting better, but there's not a lot of diversity out there. And there needs to be because everybody brings their own background and stories and everything to it. Um, Are you finding that by you being out there and these, and telling these stories and coming from your backgrounds, are you finding people are responding to it in a way of like, oh yeah, okay, I, I could do this too. Um, <laughs> anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can be Spider Man, you know. Um, but yeah. also, you know, it's it's opening doors. Are you are you feeling that response? I I definitely can see people that I know who are a little bit more closed minded uh, becoming a little bit more open minded towards the field and being a less being less, you know. I don't know, afraid to talk about it. I think people are afraid to talk about it sometimes. Like they might be interested and curious, but aside from being like shut down, uh, I think that I, I've kind of filled a void with people who want to ask questions. So I will say that, I don't know if they necessarily want to turn it into content per se, 
but I, I had a, somebody, I had a, a friend come into the coffee shop and uh, this is not somebody that I ever thought would give two dead flies rubbed together about um, like the paranormal, but she just came in and we had like a 30 minute conversation about like her, her experiences that she's never really talked about. And um, what are, what, like why I'm doing this and what are my thoughts and being a little bit more open and saying, you know what, like maybe I will like take a deeper dive into your videos at the very least and just kind of see what I learned. So I do see that happen a little bit more. I think it's just opening up the, I feel like I, I cracked the door open and then let people kind of have their own discoveries, um, at least in the world around me. Yeah. Well, you're also exhibiting ownership over the stories. I mean, even though it's research that you're doing by you telling the stories, I mean, traditionally we've had this space where other people come in and they say, let me tell these stories. And they try to take it away from the people that it belongs to by you telling stories about the South being from the South originally, even though I know you lived away that that allows you a little bit of um, ownership over it. Mm, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I, yeah. Um, what do you consider scary? What, what's your no thank you moment? Uh, anything that bothers me while I'm trying to sleep and it's less, it's less scary <laughs> and more infuriating because sleep is very precious to me. Um, <laughs> I think anything that has to do with the mind, I, I, I will say, uh, mind related things bother me like tulpas and thought forms like that. Those bother me. Um, and children, paranormal things. I, I don't like those. They just, and more importantly, dolls. Like I don't, I don't do dolls. I, if there's one thing I don't do, it's a doll. Like I can handle the other stuff. Um, they kind of scare me a little bit, I, but the dolls is is what like really unsettles me. I, I don't like talking to, I don't like um, antique dolls. I don't like looking at them. I don't like when my friends are like, Hey, I got another doll. I'm like, well, I, I would never hold it. Uh, I would, it would never be in my home, but enjoy. <laughs> so what you're saying is everyone should send a doll to <laughs> Josh, Josh's P.O. box. <laughs> the ha the more haunted, the better. <laughs> um, well, I was and I was going to ask, like, as far as sleep being precious, what how do you just sort of manage this? What's a day in the life of Joshua like? Because you and your wife. Uh, co-own the coffee shop you're a husband you're a father to a young child and then you're a creator and a researcher man like i research and i create stuff and i don't have all the those other elements and it's a lot for me so i don't what what's a day in life like for you how are you managing it um hard i don't uh that's the best answer i have i don't i just I just try to get what I can done. And when I can finish it, I finish it. And if it happens, it happens. That's pretty much my motto. If it happens, it happens. And good for me. Um, <laughs> so I, I wake up pretty early. So I open the coffee shop every morning. Uh, I wake up at 530. And I'm at the coffee shop. I have to open it by seven. So I'm usually there six between six and seven. Uh, but sometimes I get there kind of late because those 30 extra minutes of sleep. But um, I'll get there at the coffee shop, open it up. I work the coffee shop. And in dead times, I do a lot of my researching and writing my notes and um, trying to find stories that I actually care about. And like, sometimes I just, the only thing I could do is set a list and say, okay, I'm going to get to this story at some point when I have a 
like have an extended break. So then I'll work the coffee shop some more. Um, and then I also have a day job. Uh, I do demand generation for a tech company. And so I'm also juggling that in between working the coffee shop and usually like our employee will come or my wife will come. And then I step away and go do the job that pays the bills and the other stuff in between um, during that time, still kind of mildly being available at the coffee shop. So close the coffee shop and I try to write scripts before I get home. That way I can just record and edit. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work. So sometimes like I have to, I will close the shop at four, be home by five, record like one or two videos. Um, and then hang out with my daughter, uh, for as long as I can before she has to go to sleep, uh, edit in between that as well. And, uh, do my other like content responsibilities for like the other, uh, companies that I work for. And yeah. And then I go to bed at like, nine nine thirty i never try to stay up too late to finish anything i like i said if it happens it happens and good for me and if it doesn't it just gets pushed off to the next day that's uh that's impressive i don't know you must have some clones running around that are doing some of these jobs for you i i can only assume but yeah. uh i <laughs> I want to open it up to some questions. Uh, so if you guys have a question for Josh that are watching this live, throw those hand icons up and I can get to those. And as I'm waiting for those to come through, let me go ahead and ask, like, what's what's something that you're digging into that's exciting right now? I mean, I I think we have some similarities that, I'm excited. I'm always excited about the next thing I'm, I'm next rabbit hole I'm going down. So what's the thing that's exciting you right now? Uh, actually it's something that was recently brought to my attention, uh, by a specific somebody, I won't name any names, but he was at, um, a very specific museum in Pennsylvania and he sent me something about lawn jockeys. And now I have been researching lawn jockeys for the better half of a week now. Um, and I have a really cool project coming out around that. I think I'm just going to do a normal vid video, but I found some really fascinating information and research that I think is going to be enlightening and cool and um, all the good things in between. Uh, Whoever could that person be? We, I have no we, idea. We may <laughs> never know who that person is, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm very excited that you're looking into this and uh and I'm excited to check it out. So fascinating um, information. And excuse me while like I, I'm not looking away. I'm actually looking at y'all. Uh I'm using a monitor because my computer screen is gone. So I'll be looking at I'll be looking at y'all, but it's look it's gonna look like I'm looking away from y'all. So like dude, don't mind that. This <laughs> this has been my life this week. My my macbook pro like the monitor died on it and then i had it plugged into my tv via hdmi and then now yeah. i'm on an older <laughs> computer to do this so no one no one will cast dispersions because i'm definitely i think in in the same boat but let me go ahead and uh throw it to dawn who is in our our chat here, Don. I'm going to unmute you, or you can unmute and go ahead and ask your question for my friend Josh. 
Okay. Um, my question is, you have all these stories from, uh, from where you're from. Do you have a favorite one? And why? Um, actually I do have a favorite one. It's, uh, it's kind of a cryptid kind of not, um, it's about the Alabama black Panther. Um, if you were at the strange escape, you've heard me tell this story, but if you were not essentially, um, the wildlife officials won't say outright that we have wild like panthers here essentially like mountain lions they won't say it. they say they don't exist they say the last one that was seen or caught was like 50 plus years ago which we all know not to be true because i think any hunter in the woods who's been in the mountainous areas of alabama have seen these panthers like there's actual not fake videos and pictures of these panthers in the wild in alabama so um there's another, I guess you can call it a cryptid, um, about a black panther in a black, I guess, panther in Alabama, uh, that people have seen by the hundreds. So some hoaxes, but some pretty actually compelling. Uh, from a plausible uh type of wildcat that exists that comes from uh South America and Mexico that travels through the south southern parts of um, the United States. So that goes from Texas, Arizona, all the way to Florida. And there have been reported clusters of this cat in uh, Mobile, Alabama, as well, back in the 80s. And it's another one of those, like, they won't outright say that what it is. Uh, and it's the Jaguar Rundi, which is known to kind of be a heavy, like, migratory cat and can just travel long distances, like every wild cat does. So, um, that was my favorite story to tell because I kind of learned something new about the wildlife in the Southern United States. And, um, uh, it kind of fueled, you know, everybody loves animals in, in the South pretty much. Like it's going to be hard pressed to find somebody who does not care about the wildlife in the South. Um, so it was just cool, I guess, story to, you know, it's like, it's not really paranormal as it is just like, is it here? Is it not like, y'all comment among your amongst yourselves and people pretty much did that i had hundreds of comments of people saying I, I saw it i didn't see it my uncle saw it i didn't see it i have it on camera some people send me some pictures um so it just kind of trickled downhill into something that i didn't think it would that's and that's a great story i remember you telling that at mm -hmm. the belvoir winery and what i love about that is from the florida side of things like my father and, and his family go way back in Florida. And, you know, I, I always joke that I, half of my family, I come from swamp folk and <laughs> it's stories of Panthers. And then the occasional black Panther sighting was something that was passed down through my family lore that I never thought about that. Even as I was looking at like spooky stuff and like cryptids and whatnot, yeah. I never thought about this thing that just seemed like a very real part of my family background. And it, it was so interesting when you started talking about this because I'm like, Oh damn, like that actually relates to me. I, I, I was really, I was really fascinated about that. So I'm I'm always excited to see what else you come up with in that in that territory. Uh, let me go ahead and read this question from Gwen, who submitted it via text. Do you notice certain clusters of a type of story in specific locations, specifically Bigfoot or other cryptids or maybe white ladies? I'm assuming she means lady in white, but 
very not the ghosts of any Karens or anything. Um, but uh, but I think you get the gist of that question. Uh, yes, I do. Um, so ironically enough, I covered a story about a Bigfoot cluster that's in um Evergreen, Alabama, and uh, so that's there's a couple of counties, uh, Conecuh, I believe it's Butler, um. And I, it might be a Scambia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, there's uh it's actually known, Evergreen, Alabama is actually known as the Bigfoot capital of the Southeast because so many Bigfoot sightings have happened there uh, to the point where they cannot um, actually explain them away at this point. So they made it a thing. Like if you go to Evergreen, Alabama, you will find, you know, the, the people there have bought into, you know, Bigfoot culture. Uh, there's actually a really compelling story about a hunter who came across um, what could have been bare, like claw marks in a tree, but they were just too big. So there was no explanation as to what actually put a claw mark in the tree at a height that a, 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 a like a black bear, you know, you know, could have done. So there's that one, but also uh, there's a, cryptid triangle so to speak in kind of the northernmost area of alabama as well with uh etowah jefferson and morgan county so it's a triangle that those counties make and there's a lot of sightings of the albino bigfoot called the alabama white thing where there's the heaviest concentration of sightings of this cryptid in that kind of um triangle so you have the bankhead national forest you have the talladega national forest that kind of connects to it a little bit and you have a lot of undiscovered uncharted uh land um that people don't go to in those areas as well as along the black warrior river which also has its own uh cryptids um and vulgar stories you know which is just the southern way of saying hey there's a big monkey thing out here in the <laughs> in the woods so that also has its own lore around that too so yeah in alabama specifically i've seen a lot of those clusters of different um of different like similar cryptids in in similar areas did you look at any of this stuff if you're comfortable saying did you look at any of this stuff uh before your return to alabama when you when you and your wife were in wyoming and colorado um kind of sort of i was actually doing a lot of stuff in like Colorado and Wyoming too so I was looking to see like okay what cryptids are over here like what are we going to see when we're in um Horsetooth you know reserve are there any cryptids in Horsetooth because we lived really close to Horsetooth um in Colorado and then when we moved to Wyoming of course like you know you have a lot of uh cryptids that uh scare me uh in that area so <laughs> so I I calmed down the research for a second there but I did start looking at some of this stuff um not really like seriously i would say um but i know i saw an alabama white thing something on my facebook and so i was like huh that like unlocked a memory like let me go search and so that's where that one came from and uh the alabama white thing kind of started off the the bigfoot hunt when i actually got back to alabama yeah well let me go ahead and uh throw it to a question from david and alicia in our chat Hi, guys. Do you have a question for Josh? I do. Josh, I was wondering about um, 
if you could talk a little bit, you talked a little bit already about your experience at Belvar. And since that was your first ghost hunting experience, I'm wondering if looking back, if you have any, you know, thoughts on, you know, how it went or how you enjoyed it and if you've got the bug now. Um, I can answer this pretty uh pretty confidently. That was probably one of the best experiences that I've had in this realm, just in general. Um, all the people were great. Uh, more than anything, being treated like an equal was something I was not expecting. Not that I had like any bad like expectations, but you know, I'm, I am relatively new in the content creation space and you kind of never know, but just getting there and just like, it was like, I had been a part of the, the group the entire time. Uh, that was a really amazing experience. And then having investigated, not just for like an hour or so, but like for legitimately like about five and a half hours, um, was awesome and having these experience and experiences in a controlled environment was also awesome too because most of my experiences have come from the exact opposite there's usually those that are like oh wow that that creeped upon me uh was not expecting that so now i have to figure out like what i'm going to do and scramble but belvoir really helped me kind of reset my brain in terms of how i look at investigations and what i will do in investigations and what i want to do in investigations and it definitely gave me the bug and it definitely translated directly into the experience that I had recently at my coffee shop, where I think if I hadn't had the Belvoir experience, I would have handled it a lot differently than I did um, when it happened. So, uh, yeah, long story short, my coffee shop is uh, in, an, in a building that was built in the 1800s. And uh, I thought there was some spook. It went away. It came back. Now I kind of have a better understanding of it. Um now and uh might do a little investigating if i feel inclined to stir some stuff up uh innocently <laughs> I, I have to say josh uh so joshua and i were together at belvoir we were investigating the uh the it, it used to be an odd fellows facility and we were in what was called the old folks home and it's a place that I've been to a handful of times before. It's a place that I've had a lot of interesting activity, like a place that when I've been alone in there, it feels like it's coming alive and it feels very intense, not bad, but intense. But Josh and I were in there and I would say that it was pretty crazy and unprecedented as far as the activity we were getting, even down to like, seemed like responses it seemed like responses to like what kind of music we wanted to play and things like that so it was and it was a really fun and fascinating investigation and josh like definitely brought it like he was um bringing a lot of good energy and a lot of uh good ideas and everything and it was um it was a pleasure and an honor to investigate with you sir Thank you. Likewise. Definitely. Likewise. Yeah, it was fun. Um, well, let me go ahead and take another question and we'll, we'll wrap up momentarily, Josh, but, uh, Jana has got a question. I'm going to ask you to, uh, let us know what your question is there. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying the content you're putting out. Um, it's been great. It's very enjoyable to listen to. I was wondering if you had in your researches come across anything that really surprised you about a, like 
a place that surprised you that it was haunted, particularly in your home state of Alabama, that you were just like, whoa, that place has paranormal activity that just really threw you? Wow. Uh, I'm going to have to go through my memory banks on that one. Um, well, I will say this before I answer this question specifically. Um, some of the churches that are haunted surprised me. Um, haunted churches don't seem like they go hand in hand, but, um, or hauntings and churches don't seem like they go hand in hand, but there's a lot of haunted churches in Alabama. I haven't mm. covered even like half of them. Uh, and I could think of there's Constellation Church, Constellation Church. There's a church in uh, Dadeville that's allegedly haunted. There's like churches. Uh, there's a church in like uh, close to Montgomery that's haunted. There's a lot of haunted churches. Um, so I think at, like from a generic standpoint, that's probably been the most surprising to see how many there were here. Uh, and they're usually just um, the Claybank Law Church, I believe, is another one. Um so yeah, that that there's a couple of those. In terms of one that really surprised me, um, wow, um, I don't know if I have an answer right away. Um, hmm, that's a really good question. I've never actually thought about that. Um, you kind of have me on the ropes on that one. Uh <laughs> well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. And I think this was something we may have talked about previously, but sometimes I mean, legends serve a purpose and they can teach us about ourselves and they can teach a kind of like a snippet of history, even if it's not always accurate. And I was curious if through your research, you came across a story that you found to be not very historically verified, but served enough of a purpose culturally that you almost didn't want to pierce that, that bubble, that balloon, where you almost wanted to keep the legend in place. Ooh, another good one. Um, <laughs> uh, I think a lot of the crybaby bridges kind of fall in that category. And also the, the gravity hill stories too, um, where it's like, oh, you put your car in park and you roll up the hill. Those are the ones that hurt because they some of them have some really good stories around them. Like some really like, and I, I say really good, like, you know, in a not the like, Yay, woohoo, something tragic happened. And now we've got terrible, terrible and traumatic, but but like really instructive. Um, yeah, like they have really detailed stories. That's that's a better way to put it. They have like really detailed stories around them. Like you have um names, dates, times, you have uh specific events, like you have specific uh parts of the Gravity Hill instances, and then you just realize that it was just graded. The road was just graded weird. And so it looks like you're rolling uphill when it's really like the the embankment is going upwards and like it's so it, upwards going down. And so you have some of those. Um, those hurt. Uh, so I usually have to say like it's been, you know, debunked. But there are, you know, people who still believe that it, this was this happened before the road graded. So 
those hurt. So like Alabama has two uh, big ones. They have uh, Gravity Hill and Silicaga, and they have one in New Hope, and um, or Hope Hole. New Hope, yeah, I think it's New Hope. Um, Hope, New Hope and Hope Hole are like near each other too, so it's also very confusing. Uh, but New Hope and both of them just kind of have like road grading things. So you could set a level and you could see that it's not you're not actually going uphill. Um, yeah, those. Those are those are the ones where you're like, dang, like I would love to just tell the story and just be out of here, but I have to say that it's been debunked because they, I can't, I don't want to like perpetuate um, something that's not true. Um, so yeah, it's, so that's my answer to that one. <laughs> it's a balance. It's a balance because yeah. I, I think you can do it and say, but this story is important because it talks about our treatment of women or of immigrants or of yeah. other, you know, it, it, it can be instructive, even if we say, well, there's no factual basis to this story. It's still an important chapter of lore. It still serves a purpose. And Jen, I actually have an answer for you now. I've kind of thought about it too. Um, I think the biggest support, prizes that I've found with Alabama are the amount of haunted colleges that are in Alabama too. Alabama has probably, I would say like in terms of being in the South and like, I guess in the entire Southeast probably has some of the most haunted colleges. Um, you have Huntingdon, you have Troy, you have Auburn and Alabama. Um, you have, uh, Springville, you have, um, uh, the University of West Alabama, you have Athens State. Like I can keep going. There's Jacksonville State. You have so many different schools that are known to be haunted. University of North Alabama. Um there's it's that's the the thing that's the most surprising to me. Uh, and even allegedly Tuskegee, I haven't found any hard data, but I live really close and you hear stories as well. Um it's a lot like Stillman. Um they are not yeah stillman um there's a, just so many colleges and i think as i was doing research i was kind of uh surprised like there's even defunct colleges um like judson college that was an all women's college that was haunted uh, montevallo haunted um you also have the marion Mili military institute haunted and then you also have high schools that are also haunted. So I think it's not even just colleges, but the amount of schools that are haunted in Alabama that nobody really talks about, but have records of like haunting lore, like attached to them. And uh final question, the what's, what, what, what would you consider as your goal? Like what, out of all this stuff, out of this kind of spooky business? Um, At first I didn't really have a goal, to be honest. I was just kind of just doing it. I didn't really have like a trajectory, but now um, I think with anything that you're passionate about, you kind of have to set goals so you know what you're aiming for. So now um, I would love to somehow center Alabama or the South in uh, some type of show or something. Um, I don't, I don't really care as long as good stories and accurate stories are being told that are different than what we've normally, normally been getting. And um to be completely honest, I would love to pivot into kind of the treasure hunting ar archaeology space, because I think there are some really fascinating stories to be told there um, that need to be um, that need to be told about like the topography of the South as well and why it is the way that it is and some of the things that people have found and 
some of the caves and the petroglyphs and the shark teeth on the banks of rivers and why they're there and why they're not bull shark teeth and how these fossils are coming up from the banks and the gold and all the <clears throat> different minerals that are found in ancient civilizations and uh, things of that nature. So those also pique my interest. Interest. I just haven't uh, created content around it because I am literally overwhelmed by the amount of things that I've found. And there is no possible way I have the bandwidth to do that right now. Um, but so I guess those are like my two my two major goals, like some type of show uh, to center uh, some of these stories a little bit better. And um, yeah, like get into archaeology, I think. Yeah, maybe we, we should talk about that. Yeah, like, uh, you know, there's already Josh Gates. So now we need uh, Josh Darren. Uh, doing this so we could we could talk about uh southern treasures um, but and then meanwhile the coffee shop is in opalika yes opalika opalika alabama opalika yeah opalika i thought i was saying it right opalika just the coffee shop yep the coffee shop i hated the name at first and it really kind of grew legs and like attached itself to me and now i love the name i mean it's definitive you've got the the coffee shop and Opa yep. like Alabama. <laughs> so, uh, Joshua, I, like I said before, I'm just, I'm so appreciative of your time and appreciative of your friendship. It's been just a blast getting to know you. And, um, and I think you're doing great stuff and we definitely need to get you out to more events and, and hang out. Cause I just have a blast hanging out with you. Yeah. And I'll go just to like, hang out like I, I don't even have to do anything i don't even necessarily even want to do anything just be there <laughs> well let's let's not advertise that you're going to show up for free let's not do that <laughs> we want to get you paid to come to these things but yeah so we want you to come in and hang out <laughs> but yeah well thank you for having me i really appreciate it and, and like i told you before like any opportunity to talk to you and just hang out with people who are in this community um i i, I love it i think um I've met some of the, the best people in this community over anything else creative that I've ever done. And um, I'm very honored and grateful and blessed to be kind of in this space and get to know the right people first, as I always say. So um, yeah, it's always good talking to you. Yeah. We're and grateful. We're grateful to have you, not just because like you're bringing in new perspectives, but you're just a good person. And that goes for, so much it's just so nice interacting with someone that you actually like talking to so like that's that's the Thank bonus you. and i i promise you as soon as i see the new spider-man uh across the spider-verse i will be blowing up your text and we'll be talking about it <laughs> yeah i'm behind on it but get to bed my friend i know you i know it's past your bedtime um what time is it it's uh, like 9 30 almost almost <laughs> And, and thank you, everybody. Oh, um, almost knocked over stuff. But uh, thank you, everybody, for joining. It was awesome talking to y'all and talking to y'all and all that good stuff in between. And the questions were great. And yeah, just thank you for joining and entertaining me a little bit. <laughs> all right, Josh, I will catch up with you soon, my friend. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And, and that was Josh Darren and uh, just a hell of a guy. Like really hell of a guy, a likable gentleman and um, just someone, as I said, has become a fast friend. I just really respect his opinion and I like bouncing things off of him. He's got a mind of a researcher and the curiosity of one as well. And 
I'm Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. And if you guys have stories you'd like to share, the strange and unusual, email us at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.